AT&T ThreatTrack is a roundtable discussion of the latest network security trends and news conducted by AT&T data security analysts. Complete video of this show is available at techchannel.att.com. Hey Matt, uh, today you have interesting analysis about Bad Rabbit. Could you able to walk through you know some of the you know interesting features you found and uh, why not you, you know drive us through your story? Sure. Bad Rabbit came out last week. Uh, it was a ransomware campaign, mm -hmm. um, and I'm going to put a big asterisk next to, to ransomware as well because it seems like some people are starting to think this is this is destructive malware masquerading as ransomware. Like the intent was always to take systems down instead of extort money. But it seems to be related in certain ways to the NotPetya ransomware that we saw a while back. Okay. NotPetya spread primarily using the Eternal um, Eternal Blue Eternal Romance bug. It's still within this malware, Bad Rabbit, but apparently the primary way of spreading was a number of compromised websites. Okay. So these websites, which tended to be .ru, .ua, you know, Russian or Ukrainian sites, people would be going to a regular website they were used to using, and it would pop up and say, hey, you got to update Flash, and who hasn't seen that before? So people would install it, get infected, their machines would start to spread the, the malware on their local network using a couple of tricks, and eventually it would encrypt their files, reboot their machine, and tell them you've got to pay some bitcoins. Seems to target almost exclusively Russian and Ukrainian targets. At that point, it would show you a message after rebooting and saying, hey, we've encrypted your stuff. Go to this .onion website, pay us this much Bitcoin. Turned out to be around 277 US dollars worth of Bitcoin at the time. Okay. The similarities to NotPetya are what really makes it notable. And it's interesting to note that there was a, a bit of profiling code on those compromised websites, okay. that it would copy information about the machine that I had just visited, okay. and then somehow, and we're not sure what decisions were made, either provide the malicious payload or not provide it. My guess is maybe there was something in it that said, is this machine located in Russia? You know, okay. that, that would make some sense. And it seems that they, the guys who put this together, not only are they sharing code and, and methodologies with, um, with NotPetya, they also spent a lot of time planning it. Apparently, the, the compromised websites were compromised for several months. There are some reports it started somewhere in last year, 2016. So in that sense, basically, the authors who were behind it, they took some time to you know, basically build something very robust and try to you know, propagate it. So whoever planned this compromised those websites far in advance and then decided all at once to spread the ransomware this way which sounds like it's, it's either very, very well-organized or well-organized and possibly state-sponsored. That was some people's take on it. There is so much analysis available about this. So I recommend if you're interested in knowing exactly how this thing works, mm -hmm. you could probably get a step-by-step -step of the lines of the code at this point, of what, what, each one, what each portion of the code does. And if there seems to be some, you know, like a discrepancy, whether it's using, you know, Eternal Blue or not. Mm -hmm. Do you have any take on it? What's the latest information? You know, one day somebody's saying it's using, other day you read another article. Mm -hmm. It's not. Typically when you have something that's this big, mm -hmm. I mean, it wasn't worldwide like WannaCry, but okay. it was big enough that there's a lot of competing analysis. Everyone's rushing to try and find out what this thing is doing. Sometimes things get missed. I okay. think they found like a modified version of the eternal romance exploits within the code. But I, I guess the, the question I would say is, is I mean, you know, when, when, when you do get infected with this, I mean, what, what's the solution? That's the difficulty. Um, in most cases with ransomware like this, the only option that you have is either to restore from a backup 
or, and I don't want to advise that people do this, or to get your files back, you may actually have to pay the ransom. Now, I haven't heard of anybody actually paying the ransom on this one, mm -hmm. so I don't have any indication as to whether or not that payment method works. It's actually pretty interesting. If you take a look at the website that was set up to receive the payments, the, the payments that you're supposed to go to this you know, .onion site and show up, it looks very flashy. Like it looks like someone took the time to make it look like it was there to decrypt your data. Like when you go to the website, the text on the page appears encrypted and then it decrypts itself all like Hollywood-like. And I'm like, this is weird. Like who bothers to do this? Unless you're trying to convince people that this is actually what's going on is that it's some sort of legit decryptor or maybe someone's a real show, showman, I don't know. But again, I don't have any evidence that the decryptor actually works the way it was promised. But since there was a lot of suspicion around not Petya, mm -hmm. that it was really destructive malware masquerading as a for real ransomware, yeah. people are extending that same suspicion towards Bad Rabbit in this case. So I wouldn't be surprised. So Ganesh, I hear you have an interesting story about the ransomware marketplace. Yes, John, I have today also another interesting story about related to ransomware. Uh, this time, actually, the report about a research paper about ransomware economy. Uh, the study has been done by Carbon Black. They gave some statistics, very interesting statistics. They compared last year, 2016 to 2017. This Carbon Black report has some statistics on how this marketplace has grown in the last year by leaps and bounds, the number of people involved, the number of different types of malware involved. According to the report, basically, you know, uh, we are hearing so many ransomware now, right? Just now you talked about one bad rabbit. Yep. It's also one, one type of ransomware. We also heard about Cliprolacker and you talked about NotPetya. And we know about uh, Locky, GoldenEye, CryptoLocker. These are all actually made news in the year of 2017. Mm. The primary point which interests to me is uh, from 2016 to this year, the increase in the ransomware is about 2,500% times. They have some numbers. I think the market value for uh, ransomware market in 2016 was about 250K. 2017 jumped up to 6.2 million. Wow. So that's how they came with uh, 2,500 times in increase. Did they say if that's because there's simply more players in the market or because the ransom that they're asking for are higher? I mean, did they back that up and say why that, that change occurred? The prime reasons are, you know, basically supply and demand. The typical malware author, and malware author in the sense I, I mean to say, the ransomware author makes about 100K per annum, whereas the typical software developer makes about 59 to $60,000. Most uh, you know, malicious actors wants to do it because, why because? It's very easy, easy to set up. There's a very high probability of profits gaining from it. With no knowledge, no coding knowledge, anything, you know, we talked about in one of the episodes, you can get the, just an app, and you can start your own ransomware uh, campaign. Due to prevalence of a lot of these factors, you know, I think there's a lot of increase in this one. I think uh, another, imp maybe another, not two more important factors to increase is probably prevalence of uses of Bitcoin. Okay. Yeah. So there's basically no trace back. Once the payment has been done, it's gone, mm. right? And the use of uh, Tor, I think now they are heavily using the Tor to, you know, basically hide themselves, you know, from, you know, analysis and other stuff. Right, it makes it much harder to trace back who's actually behind that ransomware if, if the payment mechanism is done entirely through Tor and using Bitcoin. Bitcoin. I agree. Yeah. They said in 2016, the payments of ransomware amounts in dollar amount was about 1 billion, which was about 24 million in 2015, the year before. Mm. Even there, there's a huge increase in it. 
you got to wonder that much money that's being spent on it. If you were able to, <laughs> if you were to take that kind of spending and then just ask everyone to make a single, you know, external hard drive backup of their stuff, they'd be able to. I mean, let's think about this. People would be able to get it's their data worth back. a billion dollars just to back up everybody's data, right? There's a bill business maybe there. Maybe there is, but honestly, I'd much rather see the money spent in that way instead of to, to cyber criminals. I think we'd agree on that. I think the one reason is because people are paying the ransoms they're getting encouraged to, you know, basically proliferate with more variants of ransomware. Mm -hmm. And the more people are willing to pay these ransoms, exactly. it just encourages crooks to do it. Yes. Yeah. This is kind of surprising to me. The price point for the ransomware, you know, the typical ransomware, ranged from, you know, 50 cents to $3,000. 50 cents? 50 cents. Wow. But the median price is around, you know, $10.50. It's so tempting anybody can go and buy, you know, for such a small price. And that maybe that's one of the contributing factors to see, you know, 2,500% jump from last year to this year. If you look at the underground of ransomware economy report, they have a tiered structure. Basically, I think uh, the most of the levels they have is a tier three, like any organizations you have tier one, tier two, tier three. Mm -hmm. In this case, uh, tier one is the author. Author is supposed to be the you know, who actually created and developed the you know ransomware malware. Mm -hmm. And the next level, they will have actually the ransomware as a service. Mm -hmm. Basically, the author decides to instead of you know taking hosting everything, you know, it kind of you know basically give it to somebody to take care of you know campaigning wise. But he provides the technical excellence but they will have a revenue sharing. Like they will come up with some terms, you know, I'll get such a share of whatever the ransomware revenue you get it. Mm -hmm. But it will handle the, you know, only basically the part of a technical part of it. But the distributors, what they will do, they will come up with the different plans, maybe spam campaigns, exploit kits. The least tier in this one is basically, I think uh, they're called, uh, I believe, uh, distributors. Distributors basically, you know, they could be they could be buying from the you know the first two tiers. Their their only goal is to you know spread as much as they can the ransomware. Okay, so these are the guys who might handle the spam campaigns or like posting links on forums or cool. anywhere yes. that you would get that ransomware in the first place. That's mm -hmm. their responsibility. I think they will get the directions from the top up. You know, basically either from their I I, I believe in this case would be distributors. Okay, they will tell you you know you have to take care of spam campaign maybe you know. Uh, another, you know, exploit kit, and they will do it. You know, they try to give you know as much, uh, you know, <laughs> expansion for this ransomware. Got it. I think anybody is interested. Actually, Carbon Back has a PDF, cool. and they put it on the internet, and it's a good read actually. And at the same time, it's scary. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> so, John, let's talk a little bit about that key reuse attack, that crack attack in WPA2 that I heard about last uh, last week. Yeah, this is a, an interesting man-in-the-middle vector that uh, relates to uh, a vulnerability that some researchers found in the WPA2 handshake. In that handshake, they basically say, hey, I'm you, you know, you're, you're me type thing. And then I'm say, you and you're okay, me? That's a terrible way to start. <laughs> so, you, know, you just say, I, we're going to, you know, at least we establish that, that uh, you know, initial handshake that lets us know that, you know, we're the session, we're going to keep that communication going. And in that handshake, there's no encryption, right? There's no, it's no real secret sauce right there. It's just handshake. But there is some passing of keys. And what the researchers found is that either those keys are guessable or, and, and the key here is what's called a non. 
or, or it's, it's, you know, not even random. You know, sometimes these are, they're supposed to be random or they can be random, but there's no real requirement to do that. And so there, there's, there's a, I, I guess, a basic problem with WPA2 in that if you can guess that knot, if you can guess that key and reuse it and reinstall it, reinstallation, you can essentially jump in the middle of a Wi-Fi session. There's always a problem with Wi-Fi man in the middle. I mean, we've said that on this show several times in the past. We're going to continue to say it you know, in the future. You know, there's, there's Wi-Fi man in the middle attacks are relatively common. In this case, we have a new vector where it's a little bit less detectable because, because you're not having to forge a certificate, but it is still a, a vulnerability. Some of the key elements here, you know, of course, like I said, you're not breaking encryption. So if you have like a Wi-Fi session that has a VPN in it, or you're doing a uh, HTTPS uh, SSL session, you're 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 still encrypted in that in that in that you know that, that connectivity. Right. So the this will this removes the protections that WPA2 provides. Um, Correct. But anything underneath that, I mean, encryption will still work, but someone could still tamper with. Or replace traffic, except hopefully your your underlying encryption, your VPN, your SSL will take a look at that, and the protocol will fail to work at that point. And you'll say something is up. Somebody's messing with my packets, right? Well, or some other indication. You know, you can have some indications that you know that somebody's on that session with you. A great example is is back you know when we were talking Poodle. You know, you'd see the the uh, the lock key like on your browser. You know, you think you may be connected to your bank or whomever. That lock key wasn't a lock, right? It was open. You think, oh, wait a second. If I have a clean HTTPS certificate session, that lock should be there. Well, that's that's the same problem here. It's a man-in-the-middle vector. I mean, that's really what it boils down to. There, there are no active attacks. There are no active exploits using crack right now. You know, known instance in the wild. It's just kind of joins that crowd of man-in-the-middle vectors. The real uniqueness of it is, is that it's a WPA2 protocol issue. It's not just a, can I afford a certificate? Can I, you know, get in the middle of the session some other way? It's, it's, it's actually at that very low level, you know, protocol. This is a fundamental flaw in the protocol. This has nothing to do with whether it's on, you know, it's not Windows specific, it's not Android specific, it's WPA2, the standard by which all these implementations abide to. That's where the flaw is. Anything Wi-Fi enabled is, is the problem here. I mean, or not, I shouldn't say, it's, problem is, is a hard statement to say, right? I mean, it, it's a protocol, it's a basic level, you know, below, you know, normal, you know, interception. It, it, it's actually at that, you know, how the how the road's laid, right? <laughs> you know, it's, it's that line in the road is now over here when it should be here. You know, but it, it's still, there's still a road. John, do you have uh, any, uh, any recommendations to, you know, for this specific flaw? Use of VPN. Yeah, no, and that's the thing is, is like you said, this impacts every Wi-Fi device, access points, clients, whatever. You know, it, it's it's a, it's the recommendations are really still the same ones that you have, like with other normal Wi-Fi man in the middle okay. type things. Okay. Is is patch, patch, mm -hmm. patch, 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 right? <laughs> can't can't harp on that enough. If you're on a public Wi-Fi for some reason. You know, it's it just it's just common practice. You don't do sensitive stuff on public Wi-Fi. So if you're in an apartment complex or you're in a house that's near other houses, you know, you got to be aware that that Wi-Fi connection can be, uh, you know, pretty wide. This is one of those bugs that may linger for a while, simply because not everything gets patched. 
on a, a reasonable schedule. If the users are up to date with the patches, and if you're using VPN, the users will be protected from this one. Hey John, I think uh, you have a quiz for us today, you know, another interesting one you came up with for us. I always try to give you quizzes. Some of them are harder, some of them are easier. In this case, what I did is I picked up four statements that I've actually have heard in conversation. And I thought, okay, let's just see, what do you think? Are they really true? Are they not true? And so it's a little bit of a, a quiz, but it's also a little bit of, you know, let's, let's, let's hit some of that popular um, myth, you know, that may be out there in the wild. The Markley quiz was good this week. It wasn't just a simple, you know, facts or like a multiple choice guess. It was more of a, what's wrong with this picture? So the first one is, 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 is one I actually, actually, I just read, this is probably the most recent one I've heard. It, it, it was, my application uses SHA-2, therefore our data is encrypted. What? No. That was easy. <laughs> no. Why do you say no? Because SHA-2 is a hashing algorithm. It's not an encryption algorithm. Correct. Great. If you're if you're trying to store passwords, maybe it's appropriate. I, I, I wouldn't call it, you know, done. There's other hashing algorithms you should consider as well mm -hmm. that are probably better. But no, that's not the same as encryption. Not by a long shot. Yeah. But, but again, this is I just heard this probably in the last week. <laughs> oh, well. All right, so, so, good, so good points there. Here's, here's the next one. Uh, my router access list limits access to TCP ports 80 and 443, so only HTTP and HTTPS are permitted. You want to take this one, Ganesh? I know what I'm, I'm going to say. Okay, go ahead. You sure? Yeah, go ahead. Uh, no, because it doesn't tell you what's going on in the application layer. So anything can go over those two ports. I mean, I could push I could push SMTP over that port. I could push a custom protocol over those ports. Unless you're looking at what's actually going over it, you're not preventing anybody from misusing those ports. So here's the third one. This this one's maybe a little different, but again, something I've heard. So let's see if you think it's it's, it's real or not real or, or accurate. I guess there are two types of companies: those that have been breached and those who don't know they have been. Hmm. They don't know yet, probably. I like this one because I, I think it's that same kind of, it encourages the mindset I want people to have is that just because you haven't shown that you've been breached, that you shouldn't be worrying about breaches or looking for evidence of breaches. <sighs> this is a tough one because I know I can, I can see it both ways because, you know, technically there is a possibility that you have not been breached. However, you really need to be proactively looking for it instead of something to fall in your lap. So... On a practical level, I'm going to disagree with the statement, but on a philosophical level, I'm going to endorse the statement. Is that is that okay if I hedge, hedge my bets that way? And I expected to hedge. <laughs> and, and that's the way the right answer is. I mean, I think as a security professional, we, we, we reiterate that people, you know, you've been hacked, you just don't know it, right? And that's because kind of the statement that's being, the sentiment that's being said here is, is that, you know, the fact that you don't see it doesn't necessarily mean that you're not, you know, that somebody's not in your network. Now, here's, here's the last one. I have nothing important on my computers, so not really concerned over security. Ganesh, you got to take one, yeah. man. I think uh, this is, I think, uh, I'll say, you know, a little lack of, you know, security awareness. It doesn't mean, it does not mean, you know, if you're, if you doesn't have anything important on the computer, it doesn't mean it's not been used. It's not the data sometimes, it's the horsepower you have, the how much, you know, memory, how much, you know, stories you have, that's, that's what is used by the bad actors. I, I, I concur. And, and that was the thing that I actually heard somebody tell me this at a, at a meeting. 
But I said, well, wait a second. The fact is that you have a, you know, you have an asset, a resource that somebody would love to be able to use. Maybe not take the data off of it, but use it for their own purpose. Absolutely. I, I always, when somebody says that to me, I always point back to, I think Brian Krebs has an infographic about this, the value of a hacked PC. Oh, really? And it shows, I mean, it's probably not a complete list, but it's a very long list of the different things that somebody could potentially use mm -hmm. your personal computer for if they had control over it. True. That includes things like cryptocurrency mining. That includes mm -hmm. using it for DDoS attacks, sending yeah. spam. I mean, anything that they would go out and rent a computer to yeah. do that's a criminal action, yeah. they could just use yours. So absolutely. And I also have this, I come up, this comes up a lot in, in discussions with developers in development environments where they say, well, it's not a production machine yet. And I haven't put any company information on it, so I'm not going to go through all the steps that I should. And I have to tell them, like, this is the same problem, you know. Just because you don't care about what the data is doesn't mean that it's not valuable to somebody. So, so y'all passed the quiz. I mean, it wasn't really a quiz. It was more of a discussion. But I think that these are, these are like four topics. Like I said, these were real-world examples that I have heard in the last couple months that I thought, you know, those are things that as security professionals, you know, we need to think about and we need to educate people about. If you have any more of those, I'd love to discuss those because I know that I've, I've, I've heard some things in my time too where I'm just like, really? And then I had to sit down and, and explain people, but you know, it's, it's wild. I would say that some of the answers are a little more gray than black and white, and I kind of appreciate that because it gives you more room to, to explore the space of that answer. It made me think a little bit about my own opinions on things too, so I liked it. So let's take a look at the internet weather for this week. Uh, sure. These are our top 10 most pro ports for this the past uh, seven days. At the top, no surprises here. The four, top four are actually not a surprise. 23 TCP, which is Telnet. 22 TCP is SSH. 1433 is MS SQL. That's right. And 445 is SMB. And like I said, no real surprise there. Um, 23 for the number five. Wow. Number five is, is an interesting one. I think I covered it the last time I was on the show. And that one's actually trending up pretty good. 8545 TCP, I believe, to, is to be related to Ethereum, which is a okay. cryptocurrency. Uh, we'll talk about that a little bit later. You can see 23 TCP is very close to 50% yeah. of the scanning. And that's including all the other. That's 50% that's of the most probe ports of all of them, which is really incredible. As usual, port 23 activity, taking bulk of the 50%, almost 50% of the activity on the charts. So the most sources probing is actually an interesting one for this week. Uh, 23 TCP in the top, not a surprise really. 445 is most likely related to the ongoing WannaCry, Eternal yeah. Blue scanning we keep seeing. Uh, and also you talked about Bad Rabbit. We did talk about Bad Rabbit, that's right. We see a lot of ICMP this week. 3.3 uh, three ICMP is up 17 spots. And I know that most of our viewers aren't as familiar. In fact, I'm not very familiar with the ICMP codes. So I've brought a table up. 3.3 three is port unreachable which is interesting. I think uh, looking at, uh, you know, most of the ICMP here on this chart, probably, you know, sometimes, you know, some sort of attack is going on. Mm -hmm. The service or resource is not available, you know, in that sense, you kind of see most of these ICMP. Mm -hmm. It could be related to... It could be, you're right. It could be that this is um, some sort of network failure because of the volume of scanning or because of some sort of other network anomaly that's occurred. Yep. Uh, a lot of the times when you see these coming back in, in large volumes, it looks like scanning to our algorithms because someone else is, is scanning a whole bunch of yeah. ports. So that's, that's interesting, you know, you see all, most of these ICMP together. Yeah. in the top chat. Mm -hmm. ICMP is a protocol that's really used for diagnosing networks. You'll, you'll send messages using ICMP for things like pinging a server. You know, is the server responding? The health of the network kind of information. 
So through three, like we said, is port unreachable. Below that, we have eight zero, which is echo request. Mm -hmm. Three one ICMP is network unreachable. Slightly different from port unreachable, but again, it's some sort of error code saying I couldn't hit where I was mm -hmm. supposed to go. Eleven zero ICMP is time exceeded, which is we typically call that timeout. Mm -hmm. So it could be that there's somebody's trying to trace route. We see a lot of those because that's how trace route works: is you keep timing out the TTL. But again, not really obvious. But that's that's up for since last week. Actually, the TTL at 11 ICMP 11 kind of ties up with your other ICMP codes mm -hmm. because the resources are never available. Right. It eventually going to timeout. That's a good point. Yeah. At the bottom, we have 00, zero ICMP, which is the echo reply. So that pairs up with 80 yeah. echo request, echo reply. So a whole lot of pinging going on. A lot of ICMP traffic. I'm curious as to what this, the cause of that is, but I haven't done the research yet. Maybe that there was some sort of network anomaly causing you know, dropped packets or maybe some sort of network change. A large scanning campaign, like a significantly large one. So 8545 I mentioned before. Yes. I believe it's related to Ethereum. Um, there's a, a daemon called Geth, which apparently has a known vulnerability from 2015 that if you don't configure it properly, it'll give away the necessary uh, things to access your Ethereum wallet. Wow. So basically someone can scan by and make a request. I think it's like a, either a JSON, RPC, something like that, and okay. ask for it. And it says, yeah, sure, let me tell you. And at that point, you own that wallet. So wow. yeah. So you can see um, back in August, I think, we're seeing around 30 million scan flows per hour. And we're peaking out now around 110, 115 million scan flows per hour. four times increase. The most interesting port for this internet weather, this week's internet weather is uh, port number 8545. We are seeing uh, increased activities. The scan sources have increased tremendously. I think at least four times. Somebody is seriously interested. And, you know, with the recent interest in cryptocurrencies, Bitcoin in particular, but the other ones as well, people yeah. are realizing you can make a lot of money this way. So why not? And also, you know, most of the, you know, now the focus is on Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. Ethereum kind of, you know, it's kind of, you know, behind the Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. It makes sense to, you know, get, get to those uh, other crypto balances mm -hmm. and get the content, whatever you could. Sure. The thing about, I think, this one is that there's a known vulnerability. People can go right after that. With Bitcoin, I'm not sure that there's any known or very prevalent uh, vulnerabilities in the daemons. That's why this one is being stolen this way. I imagine we've, we've talked about other, other Bitcoin stealing malware that you actually get on the system you right. know, and run it there and then steal a file off the file system. Here you've got a, you know, a daemon. You just have to find the system with open port. Exactly. Okay. Yep. Quick, easy money. And that's it. We talked a lot about ransomware this week, and it's, it's definitely a, a topic worth discussing. I think people have to take some basic precautions to defend themselves against it, regardless of what particular variety you're trying to defend against. A backup is a great way to recover from that. The views expressed on AT&T ThreatTrack are those of the participants and do not necessarily represent the views of AT&T or any other person or entity.